Joining us today on The Shift is Ryan Neese, Super Bowl champion and co-founder and managing partner at NextPlay Capital, an investment platform focused on investing in top-tier venture funds and venture-backed companies. Neese has used his experience as a professional athlete, successful entrepreneur, and disciplined investor over the past two decades to start NextPlay Capital, which sits at the intersection of sports and technology. As a community leader, Nice sits on the board of directors of the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, WEDU, and Tampa's Lowry Park Zoo. Ryan, thank you so much for joining and welcome to The Shift. So we are here today with Ryan Nice, and I couldn't be more excited because I love listening to you talk, Ryan. Sean, when was the last time you got to hear Ryan talk? Like officially on a stage? Uh, you know like what? Words? I actually, oh, officially on a but the thing is that Speaking with Ryan, whether it's officially on the stage or in a lounge at the Chase Center at a Warriors game, you leave feeling the same way. So I got to see Ryan last week, and it's the same effect. But I'm excited to be here, too. So you have a more fresh recency than I do. I got to hear Ryan with Alana Beard at the Counterpart Ventures Conference, and they were talking about something that, Ryan, you'll have to talk about in terms of what you're working on. But... What I love about listening to you, Ryan, is you always have analogies about whether it's sports or athletics or other things, working with people, collaboration, and you bring them home in the most actionable way. So I'm just really excited for our listeners to be able to hear some of that from you. He also was on a panel with you, Sean, a year ago for our employees at our all hands, and people still talk about you, Ryan Neese. So really excited to have you here today. So why don't you just kick us off? Tell us a little bit about you, what you're working on. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, I'm excited to be here. Two, you set a really hard bar, so no pressure, I guess. But nonetheless, it's good to be here and getting a chance to speak with you both. It's an honor. I mean, I know you're both you have busy schedules and have a lot going on, but I know that you take time to put this podcast together, to work together, to share insights with your community in a meaningful and positive way because of the caliber of people you surround yourself with. So I feel fortunate to be in that circle and fortunate to call you both friends. Success that I've had in my career is finding my ways into different circles and different huddles and, and surrounding myself with people that pursue excellence. And so I'm excited to be here too with you both. Quickly, I guess I'm the founder and managing director of Nextplay Capital, which is an investment firm based in Redwood City, California. We just closed our fifth fund, which is our third core fund. We have a, our strategies to invest in other funds. And when we're fortunate enough to invest in, in great companies, we try to take advantage of that as well. And companies like Cindios and the likes, we are fortunate to be investors in. I think the secret sauce behind our community is, is the fact that a lot of our a lot of our investors are influential individuals, men and women that have achieved a certain level of success, whether it be in the world of athletics or the world of entertainment or the world of business, we've accumulated a, an LP base that's somewhat one of one. I think what we're proud of is that you know the majority of our LPs are minority, which is very hard for most firms to say, especially at this size and scale. But again, it's this idea that we're you know trying to find ways to surround ourselves around amazing people that find a way to do good in the world and find a way to succeed at what they're doing. So yeah, that's what I do on a daily basis. We are a team of 10 and finding ways to grow. And Sean will tell you, you know, as he runs the fund, it seems awesome on the outside, but there's a lot of things behind the scenes that can be stressful. And all three of us are, are founders and being on the founder journey can be lonely and hard at times, but nevertheless, it's 
we wake up excited to do what we do because we feel very fortunate to be in the positions we're in. And I feel no offense to you both, but I feel like I have the luckiest job in the world. And I'm grateful to to be a, a leader and a, trying to be a good steward of capital. Maria, even before going on to, to where you're starting, and this might tie into this, but Ryan said something that he's right, that most funds at the scale at which Next Play is already at can't say, which is that they're, he talked about the diversity of his LP base. Can you just hit us with how you actually did that and what advice you have to other other fund managers, other folks who are raising money to ensure that there's more institutions that look like that in the future? I, mean, I think it's just as much as, as possible, we need to be singing that, that song and telling that story because there might be some things that are difficult about it, but more people need to be doing it. So any just tangible details you can share there? It's a good question. And part of it, and I appreciate you highlighting it, Sean. The sad part is it wasn't something we intentionally sought out to do. It wasn't something that we said, great, let's go and find a way to create a minority LP base and and, and find ways to bring differentiated or create a differentiated strategy that would attract minorities in a way that would give them access. That wasn't really the core strategy. The core strategy and the core mission behind Nextplay is how do we give our community the ability to have a seat at the table to invest but then to also learn and connect and build relationships with the men and women that are the best in venture. And so that was a mission. And so that's what we've tried to execute on that. When I looking back, the reason that we've been able to create such a diverse LP base is partly because my entire life has been diverse, right? And, and so the men and women that I've surrounded myself with from the very beginning of birth, really, my, my mom's white, my dad's black. I've, I come from a biracial household, I've played sports and, you know, sports doesn't have color lines. And so being able to bring people from all different walks of life together and huddles to, to try to, to succeed has always been a recipe for me. And so I think naturally I just gravitated towards individuals from all different walks of life. And through that, it opened up doors and opportunities to interact with people in a meaningful way. And, and it, it allowed me to see the world and build relationships and build trust with maybe people that others maybe don't have the opportunity and don't have the privilege of doing. And so as more and more minorities have accumulated wealth and have been able or now able to participate in alternatives, that's opened up doors for us to play a role in their journey as they think about allocating to the asset class of venture. And, and so that I'm excited about, right? As that demographic continues to grow in their ability to invest in alternatives, I hopefully we can play a role because that's it. We've earned the trust and we've built those relationships over years to kind of answer your question specifically in terms of what can others do. I think it starts by who do you go to dinner with? Who do you share your life with that's non-transactional? And does that look diverse? Does it look like the LP base that you hope to have? And if it doesn't, I would start there. And I would start with trying to find a way to create an environment that you're thinking about that, not just from a transactional standpoint, because that's empty and probably doesn't have the sustainability that needs, but to really think about in your own life, you know, how are you creating different circles and how are you investing in those circles with your time, energy? And I think if you do that, it'll naturally create an opportunity for you to find other men and women and others to work with and, and do business with. And so I feel like that's probably to me, the only advice I could give on a really tangible and meaningful and impactful way to create change. Great advice. I love that advice. And it reminds me of 
when we did our Series C in September of 21, and it was preemptive. So Bessemer and Emerson came to the table with the round. And one of the things we felt really strongly about, really the three of us, was how do we carve out a portion of this round to extend it to folks that aren't naturally in those networks? And you introduced me to Kiana Patterson. You introduced me to Candace Parker and just played such a strong role in extending for me the network of VCs that I didn't have access to or LPs that I didn't have access to yet being kind of a newcomer. I'm in Seattle. I'm not in Silicon Valley. I didn't you know, go to Stanford. I don't know all the folks. And so I think playing that role as an active investor where you're not only doing that for your LPs, but you're also looking at your portfolio CEOs and you're saying, let me help you. Let me help you drive who's going to participate in this carve out. You don't have to just fill it with the same folks that are in every round who come forward as potential individual investors. So I think that was really huge and a big value for me and something that I would recommend to any of the CEOs listening to this, that you really think about your early investors are going to dictate what your future cap table looks like. So you've got to think about where you're asking for help and where you're bringing people in intentionally to get to that because it takes time. So always appreciated that. It does take time. It's hard, right? It's hard for a CEO that the business and managing and growing and scaling and and working as a CEO already is so demanding and so difficult. And now all of a sudden you're asking me to think about at the very beginning to be picky with who I want to allow my cap table and, and be maybe more strategic and more calculated when I'm really just trying to get all the money that I can get in any way I can get it. But the reality is one of the qualities that I admire in great CEOs and great founders and great investors and great athletes and others is they are that thoughtful. They do say, you know what, this is hard. This is going to take more energy. It's going to take more time. But to do the right thing right now will pay dividends into the future. And I'm going to be thoughtful enough to think about what you just said, Maria. What does my cap table look like today? What do I want it to look like tomorrow? Because the decisions I make today will impact what it'll look like tomorrow. And and it's hard, but that's why not everybody does it. And so needless to say, I think you're right. Taking that energy and and making that initiative from the very beginning can make some really positive results in the the, the long run. So let's spend a second talking about adversity because this podcast is probably evergreen. So, you know, but if you're listening to this two years from now, you'll likely remember the time we're going through right now. So you've said adversity is inevitable but it's also an opportunity for greatness. So that is a direct quote from you. I'm I'm curious about what advice you're giving to folks because Sean and I have both alluded to the fact that you send very timely, very thoughtful, very intentional text messages. And I remember specifically getting one from you when the macro environment was in a tailspin, the tech valuations were getting 50% haircuts at least. And out of nowhere, I got a text from you that said to trust my gut put the team at the forefront and be bold. What's going through your head when you're deciding to send those messages or or guide your portfolio CEOs or really anybody that's trying to work in this environment through adversity and what lessons have you learned and, and how would you give advice around that? Oof, so much in that, in that question. I do believe that everyone faces adversity and, and adversity is relative at the size and scale of how challenging that is for a particular individual. But nonetheless, I feel like we all have faced adversity some at some point in our life. And it's 
what we can learn through that moment of difficulty that I think can help us in the future. And it is a great teacher. We learn, I think the, I think we learn the most in those, in those periods of times. When I think about why I choose to reach out to people and why I try to connect with people in those moments where I feel or sense that they may be going through something difficult is because I've been through so many difficult moments in my life and selfishly probably hoped that there were people that maybe have, would, would have reached out during that period of time, or maybe that there are, pe- there are people that did and how much it meant to me when they did reach out and the hope that it gave me and the fuel that it gave me to push forward. And so I really try to empathize with folks that are going through tough times in that way, because I know that my life has been riddled with with those moments. And I wouldn't be where I am today if, if I didn't have people reach out. And so it's a small thing, It's a, but I, I feel like hopefully it's an impactful thing. The advice that I give is, I don't know how you guys think about adversity or the moments where you were challenged the most, but it's really the moment where you really think about your values. It's really in the moment where you really think about what's truly important and what's going to fuel you. It's not about the money. It's not about it's not about others. It's about really what's deep down inside of you that fuels you, that drives you as a human in that moment where you're faced with, gosh, you know, tremendous amount of obstacles or you feel hopeless or you feel broken or you feel beaded. It's in that moment where you find your core motivator, your driver. And for me, it's my faith. It's my ability to slow down and and to lean into my faith that has pulled me out of a a numerous situations. But, you know, faith can be extrapolated out into my values and the things that I believe in and the things that I think are important in life. And I've learned in those moments of adversity, and that's when you got to really adhere to who you are. It's easy to, I think, forego what you believe in and, and crumble. And when things are going right, and so things are up and to the right, and things are exciting, and you're winning and celebrating, making money. I think it's easy to say that you have values, but when everything's going wrong and everything is turned dark, can you still say you have those same values? Can you still say that you are as honest and trustworthy and hardworking and just all the things that you hope to be? So to all the leaders that are out there in this moment of time or wherever you face that, there's never been a more important time to grab hold of your values. Because when you come through that moment of adversity and you remember those values that drove you and the faith that you had to get out of that, that's why I say it's a moment of greatness. Because gosh, you can start to feel invincible. You still have to really feel that anything is possible when you've come out of those, those moments of time. And, and, and you know that it was driven through really this inner belief and conviction of the values that you live by. So, you know, that's why, Maria, I reached out to you to remind you to probably do the things that you already do very well, but grab hold of what's important to you and remember that even in the most difficult time where things could be seem like chaos and challenging around you. But yeah, that's that's the way that I think about it. I know that also usually what I've been through in the past only prepares me for something more difficult in the future. And, and when I get in that moment of, of I had to look back and go, gosh, I went through this, I went through that, and I, I made it. And so I may be more than prepared to go through this next challenge. And so unfortunately, life continues to test us and continues to push us and 
I know there's probably another huge test just around the corner, but needless to say, I'm thankful for what I've gone through to equip me to be prepared to hopefully face the challenges of tomorrow. So uh, a a beautiful mindset, an inspiring mindset, one that can you just start texting me maybe around six o'clock before bedtime and bath time? I got three. I'm trying to put down Maria. I've lost. I'll do that. I'll oh, give no. you the bedtime, bath time, um, inspiration quotes. All right, okay, I got you. all right, and 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 the reminder that I got to prepare for the challenge the next day. But where my mind goes on that, you know, as somebody who you know you've been a part of teams that have won at the highest level, teams that have that have lost, companies that have succeeded at the highest level, companies that have failed. How do you think about and also at Next Play helping leaders go from leaning on their values for themselves to infusing them into the organizations that they're leading to the teams that they're playing on operationalizing them into the ways that you actually are behaving at these companies like what advice are you giving leaders around that yeah it's a good question there's you know a couple of different schools of thoughts about what does it take to be a good leader i think the best way to be be a leader or to try to lead others to do something that you hope that they do or achieve something that you hope to for them to achieve is to embody that yourself right? To me, if you don't live out your principles or if you don't lead by example, I think it's really hard to ask others to follow you in a world where there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of other temptations, there's a lot of other distractions for people to pay attention to. You got to be authentically that first before you can ask others to, to, to buy into that. So Sean, I think the first thing is to make sure before you ask something of somebody else to make sure that that's something that you are doing yourself and or doing it even at a higher level. I think the other thing that to be a great leader is, you know, at least the ones that I've been around, it's it's not about in today's world necessarily, hey, I want to motivate you to for you to to be the very best. I actually want to empower you to be the best leader you can be. And that to me is one of a lesson that I've had to learn is it's less about me as I'm this great inspirational leader and great motivator, but I actually want to be more of a facilitator and I want to be a supporter. I want to help lift you up to lead. And the more that I can empower those in my company and people around me to lead and take ownership and take responsibility and accountability for what they do and have pride in that, I think that's the best way to lead. And I think about coaches that I've been around like Tony Dungy, and I think about other leaders and, and CEOs that I've been around that they find a way to infuse you with responsibilities that you take great ownership in, that you buy into and that you want to lead and don't want to let people down. Right. And, and so I think that that's probably one of the the advice that I would give. It's hard to do because I'm a type of person. I, I feel like I want to make sure I'm in the weeds on everything. I want to make sure everybody's doing things the right way. I love to work. I don't know if anybody can ever outwork me, but, and I demand that of others, but I don't know if that's always the best way to lead. And I think I'm, I am trying to be learned from those that have left clues of success that to me, one of the best ways to, to lead is to really help empower others and, and inspire them and, and support them on their journey to being great leaders. Because if you do that, now you have this really amazing community of of people that are buying into the vision. But that's where I would also say it's coming back to, you know, people always, what's your mission statement? And they kind of say it, not maybe with the conviction or with the 
belief that you would hope that they would want to have. But mission, a mission statement and a value statement and a vision is so important. And the more that you can pound that drum and get people to really buy into why are you doing? What is it that we're truly doing? What are we waking up for? Why are you making? It's not about just the role of the job or about the money that you're going to make, but the difference that you're going to have in others. I feel like people want to rise to the occasion in this world and they need that more than ever. We need hope and inspiration to make us or help us achieve the goals we have. So anyways, there's a lot probably there that I could go into. Yeah, I want to just dig into a little bit the the huddle concept because I've heard you talk about it so many times. And I think it's really powerful, not only for leaders, but also for people in companies who are trying to figure out where they fit, who are trying to figure out how to work harder, how to balance, but really how to be there for their teammates in terms of, you know, we talk a lot in tech about collaboration and there are all these buzzwords, but what does it really mean to be in a huddle, to be shoulder to shoulder with your teammates, trying to point yourselves in the same direction to achieve a goal? Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, there's multiple huddles, uh, obviously, that I think that I've operated in in life, Maria. And, and I think for a CEO, from that perspective and from a leadership standpoint, I think it's really important to have other men and women that you can huddle up with that are probably on a similar journey. I remember being a, a founder and being on that journey. And even now in this journey of building next play, it can be lonely and it can be really hard and you have to make some tough decisions and you have to, you have a lot of things going on in your mind. And there's the conversations that go on in my mind. If I don't learn to process them or get them out of my mind to get them off my soul or get them out of my spirit and talk with other people that maybe are going through something similar, it can be detrimental and it can be really hard and it can be mentally draining and emotionally draining. And so I think it's extremely important for founders and leaders out there to find others that you can trust and that you can be vulnerable with and that you can say, hey, I made a mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure where we're going. Gosh, my my family's falling apart. My job's falling apart. My life's falling. Like, I don't know. I just feel like we're human. We have very complex and difficult lives and it's not always up and to the right. So sometimes we need to share those things. Internally, I also think that it's important not only to be a part of a huddle, but to also be aware and self-aware and create an environment where you are looking at others that may not be a part of your group or your section or your, and how do you bring them in? How do you make sure you put your arm around them? And how do you make sure you create an inclusive environment so that you can accept people that may they don't talk like you or don't look like you or don't operate like you, but bring them in into an environment where they can feel safe and feel trusted and find ways to work together. Again, high level, so hard to do. But when you facilitate that and you, you when you encourage that, I don't know, I think a lot of these things we learn when we're younger. I don't know. I remember going to school and going to brand new school for the first time. And, you know, that one of the most stressful moments of going to school first time is lunchtime. You're like, where am I going to sit? Who am I going to sit with? I'm going to sit by myself. And then like, who's going to accept me? And that continues to play out throughout the course of your life. You're always trying to find a circle and find a group that says, hey, come sit with me. Remember that person that was like, hey, you should come to this party. You should, why don't you come to lunch with me? And why did they take that initiative? And gosh, dang, did it feel good when they brought you into the circle. You felt like you <laughs> You found your people. And I think the more that we can do that, 
especially with people that don't look like us in our life. I really think that that's extremely important. I think about Sean and what you guys are doing with Concrete Rose and the diversity of, of which you guys have brought people together. And I had a chance to go to your guys' summit. That room looks different than 100% of the rooms in Silicon Valley because you've you cultivated a lunchroom. And a, your, your, yours in a, looks the closest. In the community. Your, your, your I, you summit know, looks the closest. You know, because we know that that's important, right? And I think that that's something that the more that we can do that intentionally within our companies and celebrate it and acknowledge it. Hey, I saw so-and-so you guys are hanging out. Like that's, I don't know if we do that enough. So the more that we can do that and find great huddles and but dang, I've been on some amazing huddles when I played sports and I felt like I was, I had imposter syndrome, but nevertheless, there were some men that believed in me and said, Hey, you know, you, you belong here and helped me rise to the occasion and go and make great plays. And I think about, you know, my time in Tampa in time in UCLA, then the opportunities I had to do some amazing things on the football field is because people spoke into me and, and gave me the confidence to go out and, and, and make the plays that I needed to do. So I think it carries over in life and business and in many other ways. I think about, you know, you're building an institution that is going to hopefully impact organizations that will scale and impact the world. What's the thing that keeps you up at night as you're doing that? I mean, what's the one thing that you want Next Play to be known for, you know, over the next several decades? Yeah. The one thing that keeps me up at night is, I mean, there's so many things, but you know, when I when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to my mind is failing and coming up short and the fear of failure and the fear of missing the target and not accomplishing what I feel called to do and, and feel called to build keeps me up at night. Because I know how fragile it is and how unstable it still feels in my mind, even at, we might seem to be of, at scale, but gosh, Sean, the future seems so uncertain and so unpredictable. And so I think I, I think about my team and I think about their goals and desires that they have. And I think about some of my partners and what they want to do for their kids and, and the house that one of my friends, one of the you know associates wants to buy. I'm like, I'm responsible for them to help them get that and accomplish that. And I think about making sure we can put ourselves in a position to do that for them and help them achieve that. But I also know how quickly the, you know, one mistake or one decision could unravel it all. And so there's always a little bit of a fear of, of making the mistake. There's probably the added pressure too of just being the former athlete and the dumb jock and the number of times athletes have come up short or squandered money or, you know, it's the, it's the minority perspective of feeling as an imposter. And, you know, you talk to people and you don't use the same vernacular or the same vocabulary words or structure your sentences in a, in a similar institutional way and them to dismiss you and to not take you seriously. And all those things, you know, add, I think, a layer of pressure that makes it hard. At the same time, it also excites me because <laughs> I, I do, I don't know, my whole life, I've, you know, felt like I've, had to try to find ways to rise to the occasion. But needless to say, that's that's really the most authentic answer that I can give you, that those are the things that leave me up at night. Yeah, and where I see Next Play in the future, you know, the goal is to continue to build upon the platform we've created, the foundation that we've built. The foundation, I think, is built on strong values, a meaningful vision, and, you know, we have deep conviction over the mission. Our mission is 
broad enough that we had a lot of work to do before that mission could ever come to fruition or completing that that journey. So until we do that, there's a lot of work for us ahead and I want to continue to do it and continue to do it in a meaningful way. So that's kind of where my mind is. Thank you, Ryan. I just so appreciate your time and coming on today to share some of that with us. And I think you've given a lot of really actionable insights as to the advice you give and and how people can think about instead of using this economic volatility as air cover for backing down against goals around creating teams that come from diverse backgrounds, this is really an opportunity for us to accelerate. I really believe that. I think that we can move forward thinking about how we want to look in the future when we come out the other side of this. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I think you're absolutely right. It is a unique time. But I will I'll remind everybody that whatever it is that you want to be individually or whatever you want to do with your company, whatever it is, sometimes or oftentimes you have to do what you don't want to do to be what you want to be. And it takes tremendous sacrifice and dedication and goals individually and in your business to accomplish that. And so be really honest and authentic with what is it that you really want to do? And are you willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do that? So I'm grateful for you both. I'm grateful to call you both friends. And I hope to see you both in person soon. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Sean. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Shift. And a special thank you to our guest, Ryan Neese, for joining us. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore how companies, leaders, activists, and employees are tackling inequity in the workplace and driving a diverse, stronger, and more productive economy for all. Make sure to tune in on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.